0: I'd like to invite you to go ahead and take your copy of scripture and flip with me to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 15. Uh, We're picking up uh, more in the the Abraham cycle of Genesis. The book of Genesis structurally um, focuses on how we got to where we are and how the covenants of God were delivered. So as we've talked about creation and, and the filling of the earth, all of it comes back to our, our need of, of a redeemer and this promise of God. And then from here, there are, there are cycles in Genesis. We have the Abraham cycle as we start looking at how God delivers his promise through Abram. Um, and then changes his name by covenant to Abraham. And then it follows what we'll call the Jacob cycle, um, there is one in between. There is, there is um, Abraham's son, Isaac, that ends in there in between. But it follows more of the Jacob cycle. Uh, Jacob one of the sons of of Isaac and then from the Jacob cycle we get into the Joseph cycle and how we start seeing what what God has has purposed for this this chosen family in delivering his promise and and I take some time to highlight that right now because of what comes up in Genesis chapter 15 launches us into the other cycles of the book of Genesis and as we get to the end of the book of Genesis in the summer we're going to see how faithful God has been to fulfill his promise all the way to the point that we know if we stopped at Genesis and just skip from Genesis to Matthew or Genesis to Mark or Genesis to Luke or Genesis to John, we would know that God faithfully delivered the one he promised long ago, ages ago to be our redeemer and how Christ Jesus fits and how Christ Jesus is is that one of the promise. And so Genesis chapter 15, I'm not gonna ask you to stand today. I do normally ask you to stand, but we're gonna look at one verse together and then we're gonna kind of walk through the entire book, uh, the entire chapter, the entire book of Genesis, the entire, <laughs> I hope you're gonna be here till Tuesday. We're gonna go through all the, <laughs> but uh, we're gonna walk through the entire chapter of Genesis chapter 15. But it says there in verse six, the key verse here, verse six says this, and Abram believed the Lord And the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for having the ability to have faith in you. Father, we thank you that you bestow righteousness on us as people of faith. We thank you, Lord, that we have an opportunity to celebrate our faith together so father I pray that you would that you would mold us and make us as faithful persons dedicated to what you have called us to do who you have called us to be as followers of Christ Jesus this morning and we ask all this in the name of Jesus amen so let me ask you a question what is faith some of you that grew up in the 80s are going to say that's a George Michael song it was a George Michael song wasn't a great George Michael song but it was there some of you will say that, that faith is, is a belief in something. And no, no doubt we have Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 and 2 that, that shed some light on this and say, um, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the men of old gained approval. The assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things Unseen. The Bible also describes faith as action. Now, don't you think about that for just a second? The book of James goes to great lengths to talk about the difference between faith and works. And James says, You tell me you have faith, but I'll show you my faith by my works, because faith without works is dead. What does James say? Here, here, here you go. I have faith. That Delta Airlines can deliver their passengers from Atlanta, Hartsville, Jackson International Airport to Chicago. I have faith in that. Planes take off from Delta planes take off from Atlanta every day. But I can talk about that a lot. But it's not until I say, you know what, I'm gonna place my rear end in one of Delta's seats that I'm exercising faith. That I'm taking action. You've seen the old adage before, yep. That stool right there will support my weight. I could sit on that stool and that's good. I have faith that that stool will hold me up. And I could talk to you all day about how much I believe that this padded stool right here will hold me up. I could come over here and say, yep, I know it's going to, it's going to, I believe that stool is going to hold me up. If I sit on this, yeah, I have faith. I mean, I have all the assurance and I have the faith. But you know, if, if I never actually do anything with it, do I really have faith in it? Is failure to do something with what we proclaim a failure to actually hold what we proclaim? We, we hold this faith. We, 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 ex- we express this faith, but if we don't do anything with it, if it does not inform our actions and decisions and our reactions and our responses and every fiber of our lives, do we not? Do we not undermine what we claim to believe? I would have felt really, really dumb if the thing would have broken and (laughs) fallen over right then. But I could tell you all morning about how much faith I have in this stool right here to hold me up. The reality is every single one of us lives by faith, whether we want to agree or whether we want to uh, 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 admit it or not. One of my favorite commercials right now, and I love commercials, man, commercials, uh, uh, one of my favorite ones, AT&T has this, um, okay, is not good enough, uh, this thing going on, and, and there's one about a tattoo artist, there's one about, um, there's one about uh, sushi, um, and it's like, is your sushi good? Yeah, it's Okay. Is it fresh? Sort of. And the guy cooking it's like, this fish is raw. Uh, But my favorite one is the guy walks into a mechanic shop and he stops the guy and says, hey, your name's Phil, right? Yeah. Um, Are you guys good with brakes? We're okay. We got a saying around here. If the brakes don't stop you, something will. And the guy said, that's not a saying. And the mechanic says, yeah, it is. I wrote it you have faith. You act, live by faith every time you get in a vehicle that that vehicle is going to start, that vehicle is going to stop. You live by faith every time you take a fork and put it in what you're about to eat and put it in your mouth that that is going to be nourishment and not make you vomit later. You live by faith every time you go to the store and you take that piece of plastic out of your wallet and you swipe it or insert it. You live by faith every time you pull one of these out of your pocket and you go to dial that the connection's going to go through. We live by faith every single day because we take action on something we assume to be true. That is living by faith. But what does that mean for our faith in Christ Jesus? What does that mean for our faith in God? What does it mean that Abram had faith and God credited it to him, reckoned it to him as righteousness? Well, Genesis chapter 15 has two basic parts to it. There are two visions that God gives to Abram in effort to communicate his power, in effort to demonstrate his promise, and to give Abram the assurance of all that is going on in the life of Abram. And it starts in verse 1. It says this, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you, and your reward shall be very great. Abram said to him, O Lord God, what will you give me, since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said... Continued saying, Since you have given me no offspring, one born in my house has to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man, Eleazar of Damascus, will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. God appears to him, it says in verse 1, in a vision. The very first vision centers around the promise of a son. Both of the visions that God gives to Abram in Genesis chapter chapter 15, center around his promises. And the first one is of a son, a child, his own child. And in both of the visions, we have the same pattern. We have Abram being encountered by God. We have Abram asking a question of God. And then we have the demonstration of God in a vision. And the first one, it goes like this. God comes and he identifies himself. He says, Abram, I am your shield. It says there in verse 1 that all this takes place after these things. What things? Well, I'm glad you asked. If you weren't with us last Sunday or the last couple of Sundays, here's what you've missed. Abram and Lot, they settle their their land dispute in the book, in chapter 13, in in the valley of the Jordan. And Lot takes the good land. Abram takes the not so good land and walks away with a promise of God. But then what happens is there are some kings that go up against war with one another and they take Lot captive in Genesis chapter 14 and Abram himself goes with 318 men and whoops an army that comprises of four kings of four city-states that had just whooped five kings of five city-states. That's a pretty big victory if you ask me. That is one of those monumental and colossal tasks that you just see uh, take place because of the hand of God. But on the way back, Abram encounters two kings. One is Melchizedek, the king of Salem. The other is uh, the king of Sodom. The king of Salem offers him a blessing from God because as we discussed last week, he is the king of righteousness. I believe it was Christ Jesus right there before the birth in, in the pre-incarnate body, right there blessing Abram. And the king of Sodom says, I'll give you riches. And Abram says, I don't want that. And after that, God comes to him and says, I am your shield. You know that victory you just had, Abram? You know how you just took 318 men and really put the whooping on the king, these four kings that had bound themselves together? You remember that? Oh yeah, I remember that. I was there. I was your shield. I was your protector. That was me. God identifies himself to Abram saying, I am the one who is your shield and I am going to reward you. That's a pretty cool revelation, Right? Imagine with me for just a second, you're minding your own business. Maybe you're on your exercise bike at the house and you're, you're working up a good sweat and all of a sudden God comes to you and says, you know what, I'm your shield and I'm going to reward you. Most of us was like, well, thanks for the reward. I don't know what to ask for and then unload a whole list of things. But if you're gonna do something, here's a list alphabetical starting with the top of the things that are, 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 are the most pressing needs. Abram doesn't do that. Abram says, look, God, you promised me something. You promised me a child. See, Abram questions God at this point. God, what are you going to deliver to me? What are you going to give me? Because you promised me that my family would be blessed, but I don't even have a family. It's just me and Sarah. Sarah. And I love her. She is the love of my life. But we don't have any kids. So all of this blessing and all this land, and you told me just a couple of chapters ago that my family will be blessed for generations in this place. I'm have to give everything I own to Eliezer of Damascus. See, see, he, he draws in that shield. Because the conquest that Abram went on to rescue Lot took him from way down in the south part of Israel up to way up north and above Damascus. And there Eleazar of Damascus came alongside him. So Eleazar is a new addition to his home. Let me geographically put it to you this way. Abram's living in the promised land. What we'll understand as the promised land here in just a couple of minutes He's living down in the southern part of, of what was Israel, It became Israel. So, so let's put it in American terms. He's in the promised land. He's somewhere down around Gainesville, Florida. He, he's, he's just right there in that area and he's soaking it up and he's loving it. But, but he's got to go above Damascus. So he's got to go not just up to Atlanta, not just up into Tennessee. He's got to go all the way into West Virginia. And nobody wants to go into West Virginia. But he goes all the way that far geographically to rescue his son. And from there he gets Eleazar of Damascus to take him back to the promised land, back down to Gainesville. See, he took this this young man and this young man became his servant. And now Abram says, look, he's only been in my house for a few weeks and he's going to have to get everything I own because I don't have a kid. And you think, man, I thought this Abraham was a faith guy. <laughs> Sounds like he's blasting God. Isn't that something that's natural? We, we know that God has revealed and shown us something. God's going to do something. But we're just like, what? When, win, 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 win. We, we, we want it and we're waiting for it. And here it says, here it says, you have given me no offspring. But then God reaffirms his promise and says, no, 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 no. This man, verse four, will not be your heir, but one that will come forth from your own body. Uh, Maybe your translation reads, the fruit of your own loins. This will be your genetic, your DNA. This child will be born to you. This is what I'm going to do because I am God. But here's the vision. It says there in verse five, he took him outside and said, Look towards the heaven and count the stars if you're able to count them. And then he said to him, so shall your descendants be. You ever looked at the stars on a, on a real clear night? I know we kind of live close enough to Atlanta and city lights and everything. You might be able to see like one star um, on some nights. But if you ever get out way out in the country, way out in the sticks somewhere and, and, and at like... like out towards like uh, Cochrane Mill or something like that. Where there's no there's no there's no pollution of light or anything. And you get up there and you just look at the canvas of stars. And maybe maybe you just need to go to a planetarium, so where you can like go inside and they can project the stars and the pictures of them. But you look and you start seeing. Man, you ever tried to count those things? Yeah, you ever tried to count what's going on up there? And God uses this visual display. And I believe what God's doing here is like. I want you to know, Abram, that in your finite position as one man, I am the creator of all of this, and I love you. I love you. I made all of this, and all of its wonder, and all of its glory, and you're out here, and you're trying to count, and you can't count it, but I want you to know that I care about you, where you are, and the promise that I made to you. Think about that. This is now the second time that God has given Abram something that he can't count and said, that's what your family is going to look like. In chapter 13, it was the dust of the earth. Now it's the stars in the sky. And he says, I love you enough to affirm to you that this is my covenant. This is my promise. So shall your descendants be. And Abram believed God and God accounted it to him. He reckoned it to him as righteousness. Righteousness. Then we come to the second vision in verse seven. It says that he brought him out and said, I am the Lord. He said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Our second vision centers around the promise of a land. He has promised, he has promised the son. Now he's promising this land. You think, well, he already gave him the land. He made the promise uh, just a couple of chapters ago. God is reaffirming to Abram what it is that he is doing in his life, what it is that he is doing in his heart and how it is that he is going, to carry him and deliver him and it says there verse 8 i or verse 7 i am the lord he's gone from i am a shield to i am the lord i am almighty god i am the creator the sustainer i am the one it is me now he has revealed himself in covenant terms as yahweh elohim the one who was before the one who comes behind the alpha and the omega the the all-powerful the almighty says this is me I'm giving you this land. And Abram questions. Lord, how will I know that I had to possess it? You promised me a son. <clears throat> and, and, and I believe you that the son's coming. But I, I'm just one man. I'm just one family. Even if I have a son, I'm in my 90s. It's going to take this kid a little while to grow up. How do I know that somebody else isn't going to come in and take this land from me? And look at what God says. He said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all these to him and cut them in two, laid them half opposite of each other, but he did not cut the birds. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abram drove them away. Maybe this is you somewhere. You you, you know God has shown you something and you ask God for a little more detail and he gives you this vague answer, but the answer here is just worship me. Just bring me a sacrifice. Bring something to me. Come and and, and look and and know that I am the Lord your God. Bring something to me. Worship me. God, that wasn't the answer I was looking for. Too often we miss the answer God has given because we haven't worshipped him, because we haven't come to him as Lord, as God, as the one who created and holds. everything. We come to him as ATM God or, or genie God that could just magically make things appear. It says, the sun was going down, verse 12, and a deep sleep fell upon Abram. Behold, great terror and darkness fell upon him. And God said to Abram, I love these words, verse 13. Know for certain. Know for certain. What can you know for certain? That which is true. Jesus would have said it this way to his disciples. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you. In the Hebrew, it's the amen, amen. This is what will be, this is what will be. And God says, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. Wait a second. God, I I asked you how I'm supposed to know that this will be my land that I will possess. And first you tell me to bring you all these animals and cut them up. And now you're telling me that all my descendants aren't even gonna be here. They're gonna be in another land and they're gonna be slaves and oppressed for 400 years. What gives? Is that you this morning? What gives? God, where are you in all this? Look at what he says. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve. And afterward, they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you will be buried at a good old age. And the fourth generation, they will return here, but for the the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. And it came about, verse 17, when the sun had set, that it was very dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch, which passed between these two pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I have given in this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Canaanite, the Kenezite, the Cabanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Rephaim, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. With his finger, God traces out the outline of the promised land. With his finger, God says, This is the land that will be your possession. Abram, I promise you, this is it. This is it. It's not going to come easy, it's not going to come tomorrow, but this is it. Because look at the words he says. Know for certain, in verse 18, I have given. Not I am given. Not I will give. Not I could probably loan it to you for a little while. It is already yours. Abram, you want to know how, how, know for certain, you want to know how you're going to possess this land? It is already yours. You want to know how you have victory in 2019? It is already yours by the cross of Christ Jesus. You want to know how you can defeat bad habits and sin and lust and, 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 and gluttony and, and gossip and all, lying, all these. It is already yours. God has already given it. Maybe the promise wasn't for a piece of land for your family to flourish on for generations, but he has already given it. And Abram, the one who stands there, believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. I believe the main point of the passage is this. That the person of faith entrusts their future to what God can do rather than what he or she can do for themselves. The person of faith, the man or woman of faith, one who lives by faith is living, knowing that they have entrusted their future to what God can do for them and not what they can do for themselves. And we too often get caught in the mix because we want to control our own destiny. We want to be self-made people. And there's something good to be said for a good work ethic. And there's something good to be said for for being wise and how you use your resources. But when we fit our faith in us, we are not being men and women of faith in God our future is rest look what Abram's left with a bunch of dead animals that he's just sacrificed and two promises of God you're going to have a son and this is your land that's it and Abram's left with the same choice that you and I are left with today do I believe what God can do for me is better than what I could do for myself do I believe that the provision of God in my life is greater than the provision of me in my life? So how do we respond? What, what, what's the connection here? Sometimes I think it's best when we start trying to apply and connect that we just ask ourselves some real questions, that, that, that we just start filtering questions of Scripture through our heart and through our mind. And there are five that I think that this passage kind of points us to. And, and the first one is this: Am I still waiting on God's promise? Where you sit right now, am I still waiting on God's promise? If you have placed your faith in Christ Jesus, the simple answer to that is yes, because you're here. Not here, First Baptist, but here in this life. We are all waiting for the final promise of redemption to come true when Christ Jesus comes back for us. We're waiting on that. We're waiting on the full pain and sting and weight of sin to be fully removed. Yes, you have been redeemed. Yes, you stand justified before God. Yes, the penalty of sin has been removed from you if you trust in Christ Jesus. But you still have a failing body. You still have a failing attitude. You still have failure in your life because we are living in death and failure. I wake up every morning with 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 a sharp pain in my right knee i've got arthritis from an old soccer injury from from years ago and i thought i was going to be an mls player but you know i didn't make it past like eighth grade with that so um but it's i wake up with a sharp pain and he's like well it's just because you know sports medicine sports injury and you've had a couple of surgeries you just can't have that no that's a reminder of sin Not that it was a sin for me to play soccer, but that sin introduced a body that would fail, a body that would be susceptible to injury. Pain is a consistent reminder that this is not right. I can remember in health class in sixth grade, uh, our our nurse, school nurse, you know, she'd come around and teach health health class and all these great things. And I remember her telling you, pain is your body's way of telling you that something is not right. Right, You don't wake up in the morning with a bad headache and think, hey, everything's okay. You, you don't get this stabbing pain right over here in this area and think, ah, you know, it's all right. You, you get it checked on, right? if it's your appendix and it goes bad and it ruptures, it could be pretty serious, couldn't it? You don't ignore pain. Pain is a reminder that something's wrong. But pain is a greater reminder. Sickness is a greater reminder that this is not the way it was designed to be. That we're waiting on the day when Christ Jesus pulls us out of this life. Pulls us into eternal life with him where we don't have to worry about that. We don't have to worry about the sting of, the sting of pain, the sting of sin. We don't have to worry about any of that. It's done. We're still waiting. But but maybe God has specifically shown you something that he's gonna do in your life, that you believe and you're you're confident that he has promised this. Can I share one with you real quick? I I believe that in the last six months, God has shown me clearly that that we will be running capacity in this sanctuary, in this church, with with people that are proclaiming the name of Jesus. I, I, I I can tell you, Three different instances where it has been reaffirmed, I believe, to me that God is, is taking this church and going to do something incredible with it in Fairburn. The most recent was Thursday morning. I haven't even shared this with my wife. The most recent was Thursday morning. I came in here and I sat up there um, uh, back up on the road, back behind um, uh, Mel and Russ in the balcony during, um, during Landmarks Chapel Sunday, or Thursday. And, and it was pretty cool, you know? This, the whole sanctuary is just full of teenagers, full of them. And there were like three or four rows up here in the in, in the balcony. I just sat up there and I I listened to the guy. I think he was like a youth pastor at Passion City. He dressed like a youth pastor, you know, um, skinny jeans, a raggedy shirt and hair that was, wasn't combed in like a month or whatever. He just looked like a youth pastor. I think he was. And he's talking with him and everything. And and you know, I'm I'm jotting down like no, notes. I'm looking over this sermon passage and jotting down notes and doing a few things and and and, and I'm looking over the the looking down and looking over and and it's just It was just like that still voice of God again, like, this is where we're going. This is where we're going. Man, I would have loved to have walked in this morning, this place be capacity. Well, God, you said we were going to capacity. Where is everybody? God's not a genie. If we believe that God has made a promise to us and we haven't realized the promise, that doesn't mean that God failed. That means that God has said, it's not yet time and it is coming. It's coming, it's going to happen. Are you still waiting on the promise of God? It could be that the reason Christ hasn't come back to get us and hasn't come back to rescue and redeem us is because of what he says over in the book of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He says, don't count the promises of God as being slow because God is not slow or faithless in fulfilling his promises. Rather, he is patient, not willing that anyone would perish, but that all would come to faith in him. Maybe this morning you don't know what the promises are God have because you've never put your faith in Christ Jesus. You're not waiting on that final promise. You're just trying to live, get to the next day. But God has promised that he will save you. He says in the book of, he, book of Romans, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And you won't know peace and you won't know hope until you come to him by faith and trust that the death of Christ was all you needed for peace with God. Period. That's it. And here we have to ask ourselves, am I still waiting? See, Abram's waiting on this promise. God, you said you were going to give me a son. Where is he? Lord, how am I supposed to know about this land? What's going on? Are you still waiting on the promise of God? Maybe the second question we need to ask ourselves is is a little more poignant. Do I only want what God gives or do I want God? Do I only want the the benefit, the reward? See, look at verse 2. He says, verse one, the Lord came to Abram in a vision and says, don't fear, Abram, I'm a shield to you. Your reward will be very great. See, here's how you know the answer to that question. Did you hone in on who God is or that he said there was a reward? Did you hone in on the revealing nature of God? He says in verse seven, he says there, he says, and he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur the Chaldeans. Great. To give you this land. Did you hone in on who God is or... To give. It's kind of like dealing with teenagers, right? You want them to like do anything, you gotta give them something, right? You want them to show up for like midweek church, you gotta feed them. I Jacob, I guarantee you're going to Oz this Wednesday, right? A little free advertising here, taking the youth to Oz. It'll be your largest youth group yet. Feed them. Give them Oz. You, you, my, my, my dad, the only, the only way we can get uh get folks to come out to the farm um, because they figured out my dad's trick was if dad was going to grill a steak for him. Dad would grill a steak for him, but his trick was now that you've eaten your steak, go load the hay. You know, you had to do some work after that, but he couldn't just say, hey, y'all come out here and help out, you know, and, and do some hay work for me. No, no, I got to feed you in order to do that. You feed them, they will come. Do, do we hone in on what the giving and the reward or, or the person who is the giver? It says there in this passage of scripture, It says that Abram said, Lord, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. He's already in this covenant relationship with God and he remembers the promise. And I believe because of where Abram was at that point, he was kind of teetering between, do I want the promise or do I want the giver of the promise? Too often, I believe God doesn't give us what we ask for because we ask, as James says, with the wrong motives. We ask to serve the self. We ask for us because we want the gift and not the giver. Do you seek God for who he is or do you seek God because he can be your hookup? Maybe the third question we ask ourselves is, will I be faithful even if God's plan brings trouble my way? Will I be faithful? Will I continue to walk by faith, even if what God reveals to me is going to be a little bit troublesome? I mean, think about the option that God gave Abram here. He says in verse 13, "Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not yours, theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years." That does not sound good. We don't want that for our kids, right? One of the goals of parenting, aside from not ending up on a talk show later, um, one of the goals for parenting is we want our kids to have a better life than what we had, right? We want to provide them comfort and opportunity so they can go on and have a fruitful, fr- fr- fruitful career. I mean, one of my goals for all three of our children uh, is that by the time they're 18, they will be, have enough uh, ability to make a, an actual decision for themselves of what they want to do. If it's college, it's college. If it's a career, it's a career. If it's this, it's this. But that they will be ready to step out and make something of themselves because we've provided opportunities for them. That's one of the things I want for all three of my kids. And and if one of those opportunities happens to be like to be a billionaire, that's great, you know? I'm not going to complain about that. God, thank you. But but I do not want my children to be 18 and have to walk in a world that is completely desolate of opportunity. I want them to have something greater than what I had. I want them to have a better future than, than what I have. That's just natural as a parent, I believe. And Abram's given this choice. All right, Abram, you asked me about this land, but you need to know for certain. Remember, that's the key term, know for certain. It entails trouble. Jesus said, in this life, you will have troubles. If it were any other way, I would have told you. Jesus said, hey, if the world hates you, be cool with that. Because guess what? They hated me first. They don't actually hate you. They hate me that's in you. See, God's purpose and plan for you is not trouble-free. It's not, well, come to Jesus and all your troubles and all your cares, they all go away and it's peaches and puppies and everything's great for the rest of you. No, a lot of times when you submit your life to God, and submit your life to Christ, it becomes the hardest road you will walk because there are sacrifices that end up having to be made. There are there are things that you lose out on opportunities that you miss. There are troubles that come because the world doesn't see it through the lens of the scripture, through the lens of the Bible. And so what if God's plan for you includes trouble and turmoil and hardship? Do you still walk that road in faith? I mean, Abram's sitting here listening. God, you just said for 400 years that my family is going to be enslaved and oppressed in another land. Can I just go ahead and pass go and collect my $200 and move on? Can I just take the child and find another way? So remember, the person, the man or woman of faith entrusts their future to what God can do for them rather than what they can do for themselves. That's the the position Abram's in. All right, I've got to trust that even though that's trouble, 400 years of oppression and slavery for my descendants, God says, I will bring them out. I will judge the nation. And after they will come out with many possessions. So even though the road might be difficult and hard, God is showing here that there is something greater on the other side by trusting and walking in faith in him. It doesn't always mean possessions, but it's inherited life of faith. Fourth question we ask ourselves, will I sacrifice before I see God's hand or only after? Will I sacrifice before I see what God's purpose, what his plan, what he's doing? Or will I wait to see the end result? And if I like it, I'll go with it. This is what happens here. He says there in verse eight, Lord God, how will I know what I'm going to possess, that I'm going to possess this? And God said to him, bring to me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a pigeon. Abram asked for an answer, and God asked for a sacrifice. Abram asked for an assurance, and God asked for worship. Abram asked for for the direct answer about this land, and God asked for a specific sacrifice. Three-year-old, three-year-old, three-year-old pigeon and a dove. Abram's asking about land, and God is asking about the orientation of his heart. Will I sacrifice? And so you've got to ask yourself, will I sacrifice before or after? See, probably the best way that we can look at this is to see what God's going to do. Finances is just a huge area where we can look at this. God promised to meet all of your needs, all of my needs, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. All of our needs. But a lot of times we live in the wants, right? So, so what inhibits us many times from giving freely and, and being a generous people within the church and tithing is we wait to see what's left after we've done everything that we want to do. And then, okay, there's like 20 bucks I can give to the church, right? Well, what if you flip that around? God, I don't know what you're going to do with me. I don't know what you're going to do with, with, with my life. But here, here's the deal. I'm going to sacrifice now, and I'm going to give to you first before I start doing everything else that I want to do. That's just an easy test for where we're See, if we're not willing to sacrifice in that, that regard, what makes us think we're going to be willing to sacrifice time? Or, or if the trouble and the road gets a little bit more difficult, that we're going to be willing to sacrifice as God requires because we see the beauty of God's hand. This is, comes back to the question, do I want God, or do I only want what God gives do I want this intimate relationship with the almighty creator that took Abram Abraham out and said, look at the stars. Count them if you can. They're, your family's going to be bigger. Count the dust of the earth. Your family's going to be bigger. It's going to outnumber. And, and they're like, oh man, that's great. See, see what, what if the, the narrative was reversed? Or what if it shifted a little bit? Hey, um, bring me the, the heifer and the, and the ram and the, and the birds to sacrifice. And, and Abram said, well, tell me what you're going to do first. Tell me what you're going to do first. And then I'll see if I can sacrifice to you. Right? Tell me what you're going to do first. When we live with the stipulation on God that he's got to show us what he's up to before we live lives of faith and sacrifice, we're not living life of faith in him, we're living faith in us. Remember, the man or woman of faith entrusts their future to what God can do, regardless of the outcome, that it will be better than what we can do for ourselves. That what we can provide for ourselves. And when we look at life in this regard, when we look at life in this way, we start shifting our mindset off of me and more onto him and looking at what he has done and more of who he is, then everything else just falls into place. Serving in church, tithing. Going on mission trips, being involved in vacation Bible school, helping out with the student ministry, helping out with the kids, changing diapers in the nursery, all of it becomes a sacrifice of joy because we have said, you know what, this is what God has led me to do, and I'm going to do this rather than what I think I could do for myself, which maybe would be better if I was only able to be the all-powerful being to make it better. But that's really what it's about. Who's the all-powerful being? Me. Or him? Am I willing to sacrifice before I see what God's doing or do I got to wait and see if I like what he's going to do before I will give? Yeah. Am I a consumer or am I a worshiper? And the last question we ask ourselves is this, what am I counting on? What am I counting on? Or, or For the grammarians in the room, let me rephrase that. On what am I counting? It says there in verse 6, Abram believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. By it were the old men, uh, the men of old declared righteous. By faith. What are you counting on? This is a beautiful term that's used here. The New American Standard translates it you know, reckoned some of it say some translations say counted some say it was credited to him. This is an accounting term. This is a mathematical term. It means to assign value. It is to make sure that the accounts are square and just with one another. And the question here is what are you counting on to for your righteousness? What are you counting on to be the key? See, sometimes we're going to count on the fact that we went to church or because mom and daddy took me to church. Well, sometimes we want to count on the fact that I gave some money to the church. Sometimes we want to count on the fact that I prayed that one time when I was in trouble. Sometimes we want to count on what did, 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 did and not on who he is. It says that Abram had faith. He tr- I, I love the way uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible uh, says it. He says, Abram trusted God more than what his eyes could see. He trusted God more than, than what his eyes could see. Let me ask you a question this morning: Are you trusting in, are are, are you counting on faith, or are you counting on cult? Are, are you counting on faith, or are you counting on cult? See, faith looks at the person of God as revealed in Christ Jesus and said, His righteousness is the righteousness I need. My righteousness is not enough. My righteousness will never be enough. But it's only at the cross of Christ that I can find the righteousness that God requires. Cult says, if I go through this practice and do this and complete this and I'm here for this, then I'm okay. Cult is a faith in works. Church attendance, tithing, Sunday school. Man, those are all great things, but you can't count on them. You you can't count on them for righteousness. You can only count on the blood of Christ. You can only count on the blood of Christ. You want to know if you're a person of faith? You you want to know if you're truly one who entrusts their future to what God can do more than what you can do for yourself? What are you banking on to get you into the gates of heaven? Is it you or is it him? Abram had faith. and Because he had faith, God credited him as righteousness. You place your faith in Christ Jesus this morning and he will credit to you as righteousness.